Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse, your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. There's a stereotype about real estate agents. Josie Caruso doesn't really fit that mold. In the first chapter of her successful real estate career, Josie had to navigate a cutthroat male-dominated industry that shunned emotion and vulnerability. This was while Josie and her husband were going through IVF, an intensely emotional roller coaster. As a young mum, Josie sensed that she didn't have that fire in the belly or the local networks to get back into the game. At that time, she felt unready behind the eight ball. So she returned to the workforce in more nine to five roles. Josie worked across sales and customer service, and she started canceling, leveraging her strengths as a lateral thinking generalist and people person. But nothing ever resonated quite like real estate. And so she eventually embarked on real estate career chapter two. In this episode, Josie shares her diverse background, which has allowed her to bring a unique set of skills and a fresh perspective to her work. She emphasizes the value of personal connections and the human aspect of real estate transactions. We discuss the challenges Josie faced balancing motherhood and a demanding career, the importance of professional development and mentorship, and so much more. Meet my friend Josie from Barry Plant Real Estate Bendigo. Hello, Josie, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. What I love about this series that we're currently doing is that I have got to meet most of you through the stories that have been submitted. And I've just loved every one of them because it seems like everyone's just sharing this really personal part of themselves. And I talk a lot about personal and private and, you know, what you can and should share uh, to feel comfortable. But, you know, it was so lovely to read yours. And I'm like, okay. So where do we start today? And of course, we had a little chat before I hit record. And it is just so true that there's a stereotype about real estate agents, but you don't really fit that mould, do you? No, I don't. Firstly, I kind of fell into the industry and embraced it and, and loved it. And then I had a break. And in that break, I went off and did so many different things. And I think what it actually demonstrated, and I, I actually feel that that's what a lot of young people today will do is actually try lots of different things. I basically said yes to anything that came my way. Nothing really fulfilled me like real estate did, I might add, but I didn't think I'd come back to it. But coming back to it, I, I realised, well, I'm applying everything that I accumulated in terms of knowledge, experience, skills, and it kind of makes me a bit of a generalist. I don't see myself as being pigeonholed in any particular area. Like I've got sales and marketing background. I've got project management. I've worked in transport. I've worked in, I mean, pick an industry, there's a good chance I've worked in it or role and I've probably done it. But really what works is that I can pull from all of those experience and all of those industries and all of those roles somewhat subconsciously and it allows me to take quite a fresh approach and a project management approach. But at the core essence of everything I do, irrespective of what role I've been in in the past and what industry, it's really about the service that I offer. That's critically important to me. And it was ingrained in me from a very, very early stage in my career history. Well, before we actually get into what makes you unique and what principles you apply to your role as a real estate agent, 
let's go back just a little bit. How did you get into real estate? Was that your first career out of school? Oh, gosh, no. So I'd worked in banking and then hospitality in the club industry in New South Wales, which I absolutely loved. I mean, I'm a people person and I thrive in that environment. So you can imagine everyone that walked in the door, I was just in my element. So I really enjoyed that. And I managed front reception and accommodation bookings and some advertising and public relations I was also involved in. But we moved to Bendigo and um, my first gig was actually in in, um, an advertising agency, which was fantastic. It was really good to see a lot of the areas that I had kind of touched on lightly to be applied more deeply. And then I was headhunted to go back into the club industry and that didn't work out. I just, the culture wasn't right, management, some serious stuff going on. And I just thought, this is not for me. This is not who I want to be. I certainly don't want to be around people like this. And I left. And that's when I fell into real estate. It was a sales support role, basically client relations officer role. So I learned a lot about the behind the scenes management in the marketing, the contract management, sales management, all that sort of stuff. And it was just a natural segue really into sales from there. And that's what I did. And what is it that drew you to Bendigo? What was so special about, you know, our little town here in central Victoria that made it attractive to move? I've always loved it. We used to drive through on our way to Melbourne um, as little kids uh, with mum and dad, and we would stop and get KFC or Kentucky Fried Chicken back then. Um, and we'd, we'd admire the uh, Sacred Heart Cathedral. That was That was just something that was really appealing to me and all the period homes we drive through Eaglehawk Road and I'd admire them and for us as a decision to move away from a small country town uh, that was the best option we didn't want to go to the big smoke we wanted if we were going to start a family we wanted to do it in a regional base where we knew that um, our children would have opportunities but even if they moved on to Melbourne, we would still be relatively close. And that's exactly how it played out. So I just think we live in a beautiful city and we're really fortunate. We've got really good culture. It's multicultural now and it's central to so many uh, diverse areas, whether you want to you know, go down to the city or whether you want to go and experience the Murray River in Echuca or whether you want to have more of a central Victorian experience um, with a bit of European flavour in Dalesford, etc. So I, I just think we've got the best position that we could ask for. Yeah, I think we're both really biased when we talk about Bendigo um, and just it being so central. And I think, of course, quite a few years ago, like even growing up, it did feel like a small country town as such. But I think those of us that have been here for so long and even with yourself, Josie, like you're in real estate, just the connections that you make in that industry. I think that's what it is about Bendigo. It just seems like there's only two degrees of separation between everyone, even though we are more of a regional uh, city these days. It just seems like you at least know someone and you have a contact. That is so true. So when I arrived, I practically ran into someone from every place I'd ever worked or had some connection with. They either moved here or they had family here. And only on the weekend I went to a book launch and um, it was held at the Rotary Pavilion in Kangaroo Flat. Uh, and this, this chap walked up to me and he said, Josie, he said, you come from Swan Hill. And I've never met this guy. And we connected so many people that I went to school with. And I thought, this is crazy. Now, he knows me. I don't know him, but he knows me somehow, maybe because of my profile. 
but we were able to connect his sister's children and, and cousins and so on that I went to school with. <laughs> it was crazy. It is such a small world when that happens. So when we talk about the real estate industry, you know, sort of back in that first chapter of your career, how would you describe it? Was it really male-dominated and, like, what was it like for you? It was very male-dominated. Um, and here I was, a, a young woman who had moved to Bendigo, had probably knew barely anybody. In fact, I didn't know any people at all, maybe a handful. Uh, I had no network, I had no profile. So up against it. And I remember walking into my principal's office one day and I said to him, I'm really struggling with the concept of being a real estate agent. I said, they don't have a good reputation out there in the market. And I, I really struggle with that. I don't want to change who I am because of what I do. They were my words. And he looked at me and he said, you don't have to change who you are for what you do. And it was like a light bulb moment. And I thought, well, what is it that I do best? And I thought, well, it's customer service. And so I literally had printed on the back of my business cards, service is still in style. And I found that within eight months, six to eight months, I was attracting a certain type of vendor. And I realised it's because of my own professional values. They're, they're being recognised out there. And so that's causing is a ripple effect of people talking and referring and recommending me. And so I applied the philosophy that, okay, I'm not a cowboy in this industry and it may take me a little bit longer but it's going to be a stronger time for me to bed down and you know build that reputation and that referral and that return business and, and that's how I that's how I approached it. I love it service is still in style that is so good is there any other mantras or any other quotes or anything that drives you in your work? There are a lot I think the, the basis is the philosophy um, and the values. So when I had my daughter, I went on maternity leave and I was coming back and I actually engaged a, a coach. I thought I, I need to go from being this soft and warm and cuddly mum back into a competitive industry and I'm going to have to try and reconcile those two roles. But what that actually did was um, help me really bed down my professional values. So I think ultimately it's about... I want to be able to walk down the street and look anyone in the eye and know that I've done the right thing. Even if I have to own when I've made a mistake, which I'm more than happy to do, because it's something subconsciously that can really weigh you down and mess, mess you up really mentally if you, if you don't own and, and hold yourself accountable. So if I've made a mistake, it's on me and I, and I will call it. I will, I will actually admit it. And even if that means that, you know, something doesn't go the way I wanted it to go, but at least I have apologised, I've owned it. So basically that's probably my main one. I want to be able to walk down the street and meet everyone in the eye and know that I've done the right thing and owned anything that I made as a mistake. Because that can be crippling, Josie, especially when you live in a small town and you run your own business and you're dealing with customers all the time. As you said, things do go wrong. Like you can't have a perfect business. Not every client or customer is going to be 100% happy. But it's just that crippling feeling of, going to say the supermarket or the coffee shop or sport, weekend sport and thinking, oh my gosh, I hope I don't see, you know, this client. I'm sure there's some other people that might feel that way. And it's really interesting that you say you've, you know, invested in a coach, even if you're not in that leadership position per se. I think it's really important today because the expectations on a on an individual 
certainly at a professional level and, and certainly if they have a public profile, I think it's good to become very self-aware. We don't really want to hold a mirror up to ourselves and say, I'm not good at this. I don't want to do this, but it might be something that you have to address because you need to grow and evolve every single time you encounter a situation that is not it's not comfortable. And that happens all the time in this industry. You know, we we are rocking up every single time we do an appraisal. We're rocking up and it's a job interview. We're not going to get every single one of them. We also have to be accepting of that. We may not be the right fit. We've got to accept that rejection. Rejection's hard at the best of times, but we've got to accept that. So I think self-awareness, understanding yourself, but also being able to sit in that and say, I think I know where that went wrong. I probably didn't pick that up and I should have. And you then put that in your back pocket and you say, right, next time I know what I'm looking for. Because you cannot recognise something you've never seen before. But when you do, you know better. So you do better. That's the key. With the coach that you had, how did you find them? Good old internet. (laughs) Um, I'm very particular when it comes to um, professional training and development. Uh, I want to work with someone that I um, admire. I think that's very important. So if you're going to choose a mentor or a coach, you don't necessarily need to emulate them because you'll have your own style and you should have your own style. But you should admire them because... They've obviously done something in their career that stands out for you. And this chap did. I admired him for a whole host of reasons in his personal life, owning some aspects. He wrote a book and, and, you know, detailed his personal life. But also he, he was just very good at what he did. And so for him to hold a mirror up to me or to uh, enable me to hold a mirror up to me, I just made sure that I researched him carefully. You're forking out cash. You're forking out money for someone to help you. So you want to make sure that your investment is worth it. And again, like like I said, you want to make sure that it's someone that you admire. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. I follow him and he follows me, you know, 20 years after the fact. So that says something. That speaks to, to the type of person that I look up to. And what does your professional development look like at the moment? Are you still upskilling yourself? All the time. I think it was 2019 I completed an associate diploma in careers education. So technically I can be a careers counsellor, I suppose. But one of the things that was really clear in that is embracing lifelong learning. And I think I've been doing it all my life without even realising it. Um, but lifelong learning is important because the world changes on a dime. It just The pandemic is a classic example. Many people were not unable to continue in their careers and had to pivot. We're pivoting all the time, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a redundancy or whether it's because of financial needs. We're pivoting all the time. So it's great to have a set of core essential skills that are really important and core professional values, but tack on the technical skills that you need to make you more versatile and agile and and employable, but also to grow within whatever employment situation you're in at the time. Do you love the idea of taking the hard work out of shopping, knowing that someone else has curated for you endless apparel and homewares options that are high quality, often handmade and always beautiful? At Vivian Kate, the focus is on natural fibres and a timeless earthy style. 
You'll find high quality clothing in classic styles, unique homewares such as cow hides and handmade ceramics, gorgeous aromatherapy based skin and body products, and so much more. Personally, I love the selection of jewelry. Karen from Vivian Kate is all about connection and understanding what you need, and she offers a personal styling service by appointment. Karen loves to support other regional women in business and has a wide network of talented friends from all over the country, whose work she stocks in store in the beautiful regional town of Yakandanda in northeast Victoria. The Vivian Kate website mirrors the charm of the bricks and mortar store, ensuring you can access the same carefully selected items with just a click. Find out more by visiting www.viviankate.com or check out our show notes for links. So we haven't talked about how you closed chapter one in real estate and then sort of went for another chapter of it. But in that time, there's probably a lot that changed in the real estate industry as well, especially when we look at real estate and what it looks like today with social media. How has that been for you? Is there, do you like it how it was versus today? Or, you know, how have you been able to keep up with the marketing side, the social media, you know, videography, all those sort of new shiny digital things? Gee, that's such a good question. So let's talk about the way it was. People would look at a photo in the window of the agency that you worked in. They'd like a property, they'd walk in, they'd see an agent. The agent would make a time to go out and show them the property. We had a mobile phone and we had our landline on the advert so that they could ring us at home as well. We also could switch off from that if we didn't want to answer the phone, we could. If we didn't want to answer the landline at home, we could. I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just stating as it was. But it was pretty much an ad in the paper, an ad in the window, and they made contact with you. Today, it is. it was quite confronting. I mean, I've got social media pages. Um, I'm not as great on them as I'd like to be. That, stay tuned. That's a lifelong learning for me. But it's confronting because you need to have a profile. And it's not just, you know, someone who knows someone who knows someone. It's far more accessible, which means you critique. First time I had my professional photo taken, it was it was confronting. I'm like, whoa, okay, do I wear something different next time? Um, just the self-criticism was unbelievable. Once I got over that and I understood how I wanted to be perceived, then, again, I sought some advice. I've only produced three videos so far. And you can see the evolution of those videos. But again, I chose somebody that I trusted, respected, admired, and knew I could collaborate with. And last night, it was so interesting. We basically, he went to say something and I was actually doing it already. So we're now in sync. Number four, video number four. We're so in sync that we're reading each other's minds and it's making the whole process you know, maybe two takes as opposed to 15 takes. It, it's fantastic. But again, like I said, I keep saying it, choosing people that you can work with that have got the same professional values, uh, understand your vision, are very competent in what they're doing, and you can trust that they will deliver how you want to be perceived in that social media space. Self-promotion, typically, women are not comfortable with. They're very modest, and I was definitely in that camp, patting myself on the back for my achievements. Oh, you know, 
women typically don't really like to do that because they think that, you know, you just have a big note in yourself and it's a, yeah. Men can do it really well. They have no problems with that because they're typically more competitive. But you can still pat yourself on the back and you can still promote your achievements and you can still have a positive self-promotion. You just have to do it your way. And if it's if it means that um, it's not an aggressive in-your-face type of method, that's fine. That's fine because you'll attract the type of people that want someone like that anyway to work with. Social media content creation is something that I would love to be more hands-on with because I love marketing. It's something that is, you know, I've always enjoyed. But I have to accept that it's not what I am engaged to do best and I need to let somebody else do that for me and that leaves me to do what I do best. So that's been something that I, I'm learning to let go of. It's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a thing. Real estate looks so polished from the outside. Like it doesn't seem that you could just put a story up that I suppose isn't polished. Do you know what I mean? Do you ever feel that pressure? I think it, with videos for me, um, I'm representing a client and I'm representing a property and there are certain properties that I'm doing videos for and they are at a certain level and I think at that level the client has every right to expect it to be polished and that's how I want to promote anyway but if you're just doing well I don't mind the idea of doing selfie videos and I'll probably get to those eventually and they'll probably be I've got a playful side so I'd love to introduce that you know you can have all the glitz and the glamour however it's not telling the story of who I am that's not what I'm actually telling in those videos I'm, I'm talking about the property that's really what it's about I'm just the facilitator but I'd like to be able to introduce um, that playful side of me because that's what people get too uh, I'm not just a two-dimensional person that you see in a video or an ad or whatever the case may be I'm very approachable and very engaging and so when you're going to when, when you choose to work with me you're going to get that you're going to get the warmth and the playfulness and the reassurance and all of those things and it's hard to convey all of that when it's a polished video for obvious reasons. Again, a work in progress. <laughs> and I think that might be what I'm getting at here. Um, you have a marketing background as well. So, you know, you're very aware of, of personal brand. And I think there's some other businesses that would struggle with this as well. I want to portray a very polished look. I want to portray something that as you said, um, the value and it's put together. It is what it is. This is the product. But then at the same time, we're being told, you know, show your face and, and show who you are as a person. And, you know, you need to get people to connect with you. So I suppose that is the thing. It must be really tricky in real estate, especially to be able to bring that in to that professional marketing that is required is exactly what your client is paying for. But it's, it's so true. I, I used to say, you know, a client is giving me a big bag of cash, asking me to look after it and give it back to them with some extra cash in there. So when you're looking after someone's property, you, you do have to balance that perception of being professional and competent, but you also need to have a fair amount of warmth in there as well because that person is often vulnerable. They're transitioning into another stage of their life. It could be that it's a woman coming out of a, a relationship and is now a single mum and that might feel very vulnerable. She might feel very vulnerable. And it's the same with maybe an older woman who's lost her husband. It could be the same with, you know, some siblings that have just put their father into care 
and it's the family home. And so you need to be able to sit in that space with them knowing, and I mean, I've been through this, and I guess this is where having personal experience helps too, knowing that they're going to have moments when they're, you know, sifting through photos and belongings, etc., that are going to take them down a rabbit hole of emotions and memories. So that, that that's where that personal connection does trump the professional, where you can empathise with them and let them know that you understand and you're not there just to get another you know, rung on the board, you're there to help them transition to the next stage. And the next stage will be, okay, dad's now in care, we've got to sell the family home, we know that this is the last stage for him and there's all of these other emotions that are going to follow in due course. I think for me, we all say that we work for the vendor. The reality is it's deeper than that. It's developing an understanding of what they need at that moment and sometimes it's not to sell the property so I've got a client not I haven't met her she lives interstate it's a rental I went and did the appraisal uh, we spoke the other night I gave her the feedback based on market research and what I feel that you know the market would respond and she was conflicted she said, I don't really want to sell it. I, I really love it and I'd love to renovate it, but I would need a project manager to help me do that. And so my, my take there was immediate, and that is, well, if you don't want to sell it, I'm not going to force you to sell it because that's not what this is about. If you want to project manage it and actually renovate it, then I can put forward two names and you can contact those builders and they either one of them is very competent and, and capable of doing that on your behalf. And they're people that I would use, so I'm never going to recommend anybody that I, that I wouldn't use, and I have used them. So in that respect then, it, the com whole conversation turned and I could hear the, the relief in her voice because I wasn't just a real estate agent looking for a listing. I said to her, but the time, the time is not right. I understand. I'm here for you when you need me. But if that's not what you need right now, well, then I can facilitate something else for you. And so, again, it's a transition within the real estate realm and I'm the facilitator, if you like. It's so refreshing to listen to people talk about not chasing the dollars and caring more for that person. And in terms of real estate, I suppose there's also that aspect of you would never have considered cancelling to be part of your role as a real estate agent. But it obviously is, you know, just through these stories that you're sharing. Without a doubt. I actually paused a counselling course to do the Associate Diploma of Careers Education. There's definitely some elements of counselling required, empathy, good listening skills, and I could go on and on and on. Uh, but most importantly, it's a come back to what I said, you know, people first, property second. I actually have another example of, of how I applied that. I've been working with this woman for nearly, 12, well, most of this year, most of 2023. I've been looking for a property for her, some that weren't on the market and I'd, I'd recommend them and she wasn't sure. Allied health professional, she had very specific needs. And we got pretty close. We got pretty close. I had something that I thought would work and then it just wasn't quite right. And then one night, I was sitting in my office, it was a Friday night, and I was scrolling through realestate.com and I saw it and I thought, well, it's not with me, but it's with an agent I respect. And I texted her straight away and I said, oh, my God, you have to jump on and have a look at this house. This property is ideal. It's got the space you're looking for. It just ticks all the boxes. I really think you need to look at this. 
She took me back, thanked me, had already booked the inspection. The following day, she bought it. So again, it's, it's not about me. That was perfect for her. Why should she miss out on it? Because I didn't have that listing. For you in terms of your career and why it was really difficult in that first stage and why you didn't decide to come back initially was because of kids. It was having a family. Yeah, I've only got the one. Um, I had her through IVF. So she was long, long, long awaited. I started the IVF journey in 2001. My first transfer, um, I I had 13 eggs collected and one fertilised. And uh, we woke up to the news of September 11. And I remember thinking, the world's gone mad. What are we doing bringing a, a, potentially bringing a, a new life into this world? It was just weird. We were driving to Melbourne and, you know, that was obviously on the news. We got to the Royal Women's and there it was on the screen, the front page. It was 8 o'clock in the morning and we kind of, we, it was just surreal. Anyway, we had, we had the embryo transferred and I went back to work. I came back to Bendigo and went back to work. Nobody even noticed that I hadn't been there for the first couple of hours of the day because they were all distracted. Anyway, she was born in 2002. And I went back. Honestly, it was hard. It was hard going. We don't have family here. We managed just between the two of us. I remember putting her into care and finding it extremely difficult to do that, the guilt. I was conflicted. And I can also remember saying to a newcomer to the industry at the time who was in the office, the same office I was working at, I said, I have to be twice as organised to be half as good as the average agent just to get by at the moment. Now, I had my best year when I was pregnant, my most successful year. And by the end of my year when I returned, I was back at that same earning capacity. And I remember my director sitting down with me on a one-on-one and said to me, you've done what nobody's done before and that is to leave and come back and you're back at the same earning capacity. Well, the floodgates opened, I just bowled and bowled. It was such a relief because I could not see the forest from the trees. It was just so difficult. I got very sick through that later part of the year, just on and off, on and off, on and off. And I thought, I just don't get to rest, you know. Um, I work weekends, I'm up to the baby. I just don't get to rest. And I I didn't go through IVF not to enjoy motherhood or really need to enjoy motherhood. So I reluctantly left the industry at the end of 2003 and went off and did a whole heap of other things. And ironically, in about 2017, 18, my daughter's in high school by this stage and I happen to be driving her around and I'm going, oh, I see the house over there. And I describe it. Oh, I see that house over there. She said to me, Mum, why don't you go back? You, you obviously loved it. Like, no, 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 no. I said, no, I'm too selfish. I want my weekends. No, 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 no. Well, we got to the end of her, almost to the end of her high school years, and she said to me, Mum, I'm not going to need you as much. You should go back. You should consider it. Well, I did. So she was basically the reason why I left, and she was basically the reason why I went back. And it was the best thing I did, apart from having her. It was one of the best things I ever did. Bless her. Oh, she just knew. What is your daughter like now? I mean, what is she, 21? We were talking about the values that we're trying to instill in them when they're younger and just hoping that they'll grow up and those values will be there and will be guiding their decisions. When you look at your daughter, what do you see? Well, 100%, I see the values, absolutely. One of the things that I consciously, I made a couple of conscious decisions in raising her, one was to be real and be human. So if I botch up, I admit it. Sorry, darling, I'm stressed. I lost my temper. 
that's not okay. You know, I shouldn't have, you know, said what I said, whatever. I always owned it with her. The other thing I employed with her was consequential learning. At first it was playful. It was a little bit cheeky, a bit of white lies here and there. She, you know, we couldn't get her out of the bathtub and she'd pull the plug and then she'd try and stuff her big toe down the drain hole and I'm like, I am so time poor. I've got to get this kid out of the bath, get her into bed. So I said to her, I wouldn't do that if I was you. She said, why? I said, well, one of my friends did that and the snake came up and uh, bit her toe off. <laughs> well, she recoiled straight away and got out of the bath, didn't she? So consequential learning was absolutely invaluable because she started then saying, because what will happen, mum? Because what will happen, mum? So <laughs> she realised that there were consequences to everything. And one day when she was in her teens and I, you know, she was starting to get to that rebellious, she, she really wasn't that rebellious, she was actually pretty good, um, I said to her, you have to assume that I know the answer to every question that I'm going to ask you. So you're better off telling me the truth up front and we'll deal with it than deal with the consequences. And I think those three philosophies have just kept our relationship real and intimate and trustworthy. And she comes to me now, and one of the other things I always say to, to parents, you'll get to a stage where you parent less and you mentor more. So during her later, mid to later teenage years, that's exactly what I did. Talk to her about the consequences. You can, yeah, sure, you can go down that path if you, that's what you choose to do. Just bear in mind that these are the things that could happen. And so now, today, as an adult, she will come to me with almost anything and we'll just flesh it out. I'll play the devil's advocate. She'll counter-argue, not necessarily an argument or a debate, but we'll just flesh it out. And then she's ready to go back and tackle whatever situation, even work-wise. She's in an industry where she's often dealing with conflict resolution. So I've talked her through, you know, some tips and tricks and she engages them and she's off and running. Oh, it sounds like you have the most amazing relationship and I think mother-daughter relationships can be really tricky sometimes. I think there's probably a whole podcast in that. It's so funny. When I listened to you, Josie, I could actually hear the mum in you then. <laughs> Like how you're telling it as well as whatever was reversing because uh, obviously you're in town. So, yeah, listening to uh, the uh, – Oh, garbage Yeah, the car- good old – I know. And this is the thing. I was planning my podcast. The uh, the garbage truck would, has just gone and obviously we hit yours. They must be working around. Yeah. But I think that key word there is mentors. I think in terms of business, mentors are just so special to get you through, whether they're formal or informal. Without a doubt, 100%. And I think today, too, we, we've got to approach um, young ones from the perspective that they need to learn that emotional intimacy to feel safe in, in a space with somebody that can take the ugly parts of their behaviour, um, but also empathise and say, look, I've been there and it's going to be okay, but try this, you know, just just try this, you know, this is what I did. It may or may not work for you, but it'll be a start. And often when you start down a path, and you keep continue to look for an answer, you'll find people, there'll be people that will connect you to other people and you'll find the answers and, you, and you'll get through it. Nothing lasts forever. Not, not even when, when my daughter was a, a baby and, you know, and she was teething um, or she was going through some developmental phase, I realised, you know, it's, it seems to only last about three days and then we turn a corner. And the reality is that if we sit in an uncomfortable moment, something that is really tearing us apart but we but we're not prepared to step out of it and move forward and find help or whatever we need to do 
we'll always be trapped in that moment and, and the memory attached to that situation will always be that. And I, I know this from personal experience. My father was diagnosed with terminal cancer and myself and some girls who became really dear friends of mine, we did the ride to conquer cancer to, to raise money for Peter McCallum. I had an absolute meltdown on the first day of the ride and it, it just threw me. I did not expect it. And I was a blubbering mess. And uh, I remember getting to, we, we, we rode to 210 kilometres over two days. We got to Hillsfield from Melbourne. And I remember being very aware, I could barely speak, being very aware that I was trapped in that moment. And that's how it would define that experience. So I made the decision to plough on the next day. And I'm so glad I did because it transformed the outcome and how I felt about it. And I could actually be proud of what I did, even though I was still very fragile emotionally. I was able to get through it. So that's, I think, kids today, uh, if as adults, um, if we can help them understand, you can actually work through it and you don't have to be trapped in that mindset again and have that attached to that time in your life or that experience or that event. I think that would be really helpful. Mm. Just when we were talking about mentors, Josie, so often the question is, where do I find one? You know, how do I approach them? Is there a part where... As business women, we're getting older in the industry and in our careers. Do we have some responsibility to go back the other way and, and maybe pick up one of those young ones and build that informal mentoring, even if they may not know that's what it is at that stage? A big resounding yes from me. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, I when I started in the industry, there were um, two or three women that I looked up to. And I would now classify them as being, and I don't like to use the word, but but they say this, they use this term for men, elder statesmen. I'd like to say that there's something similar. And I looked up to these women and I got, I had the joy of working with them recently. That was just tremendous for me. Not only did I admire them when I first entered the industry, I was a little bit in awe of them. And I think sometimes we can be in awe of, of a woman that appears to be having it all and we may think that they might not be interested in us, that they won't have the time. Chances are they will and chances are they'll be stoked that you considered them. When I, when I told one of them that I admired her for years and I'd never met her and all that, she was surprised. It never occurred to her that there would be someone out there that for 20 years had looked up to her. Imagine that. So, yeah, I think we should if we can. If we've got the capacity and we've got the desire to do it, by all means, I think I think it's a wonderful thing because it leaves a legacy. Once you're long gone out of the industry or whatever it might be, it leaves a legacy and hopefully someone will pay it forward. And that's what it's all about, playing it forward, sharing your knowledge and almost building a succession plan uh, within women in business. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it keeps the sisterhood alive. We don't have to compete with one another. We can prop each other up. We can we can help each other to to succeed and to to achieve. And I, and I think women can do that really well. And I think we actually may do it better. To be honest, our sex is more inclined to do it because we're relationship builders and nurturers. So I think we can do it really well. Yeah, I love it. So to wrap us up, Josie, favorite question: Can you tell me about a friend of yours that we need to know about? Yes. So she was the first person that I sold to when I came back. 
and I admire her greatly. I just when I when I laid eyes on her, she just had this energy about her. Her her smile and her face just lit up the room, and we just connected immediately. Her name's Claire Casey, and she has a business in town, the Beanfield Skin Clinic. She absolutely loves what she does, and she's got a very warm and engaging approach. Uh, she like myself, she applies the same philosophies of caring and the attention, you know, needed uh, to make sure that the clients that we service achieve, you know, whatever outcome they're wanting to achieve. I also admire that she has the agility, like perhaps I've had the same agility and, and women in general that pivot into new careers using the strengths and the experiences that they've already accumulated. I just think she's an amazing woman. Uh, I know who uh, Claire is as well. So, and I think there'd be a lot of local women that would. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, giving us a little insight into real estate and how it is just more than selling a house. I think that's the most important thing and and just what skills it can take uh, in terms of not just your marketing, but client relationships and that cancelling aspect as well. It just makes my heart sing that mentoring is a big part of, you know, what you're looking for, but also playing it forward. And I mean, if there's any young people that are surrounded by you, Josie, they're so very lucky uh, just with those life lessons that you can pass on to them. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your words. They're, they're very kind. And I hope that, well, if anyone's listening, I hope they find something in this podcast that helps spur them on if they're sort of a bit stuck. But yeah, and look, well done to you to produce a podcast like this that is aimed and even the publication that is aimed at women and women in business and women that really want to thrive. I think that's fantastic. So well done you. Oh, thank you, Josie. Uh, it's really easy to do actually. I and probably do it for selfish reasons because I get to talk to people like yourself and I think people will find a list of things because I have a piece of paper that's got 101 scratchings on it uh, from the <laughs> from the episode and and sometimes it's not something that resonates at this moment, but you might be in a situation and you just think back to an episode or uh, to a story that you've read. And I think because we share that little personal aspect of how someone has built their career and why they do what they do and what values they find important, um, the fact that maybe they don't chase money. You know, yes, you probably have to say yes to everything at the start, but when it shifts and you're like, well, no, I... I need to do it this way because of my family or because it lights me up more inside or, as you said, because I want to be able to walk down the street and, you know, not have to hide from someone or, you know, feel that that moment of, oh, gosh, you know, I've, I've really stuffed up there. I think there's so many parts in, in this story and, yeah, all the ones that we share. So, you know, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being part of our business community. I really do appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Kimberly. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine. <laughs>